This morning we'll be reading from uh, the letter to the churches in Galatia from St. Paul. So I'll begin with the 13th verse in the 5th chapter. So hear now the word of God. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves to one another. For the whole law is summed up in the single commandment, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. If, however, you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Live by the Spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For what the flesh desires is opposed to the Spirit, and what the the Spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not subject to law the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious, fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissension, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing. Do I need to say these again? (laughs) And those things like these. I am warning you as I have warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit... Let us also be guided by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, competing against one another, envying one another. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. And let us pray. Gracious God, help us this day to understand just a little bit more about what it means to be guided by your Spirit. For it is by your Word that we live, it is by your Spirit that we are able to do so. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. So as Kyle said, as you all know, there's been a lot of talk about freedom this week. Right? I mean, it's, it's the theme of the week, and, and rightly so. We celebrate the freedoms that we have as those who live in this particular country. And we celebrate those things that bring us together, that unify us, our common history, our desire to move on toward a more perfect union. Help us, Lord. We talk about our freedoms in terms of rights, the right to assemble, the right to freedom of religion, the right to bear arms, the right of the press, the freedom of the press. We talk about these things that we've long held dear that we think make us unique as those, again, in this particular country. And so as we come to worship at the end of a very patriotic week, Christians have to do a little shifting. Because when the scriptures talk about freedom, they are not talking about rights and privileges at all. 
When Christians talk about freedom, it is not about what is my right, what is my privilege, what do I have that distinguishes me from you. Rather, when a Christian discusses freedom, it is about the Spirit of God and how that Spirit comes upon us and brings us all into the body of Christ. And we begin to, to explore a little bit more about what freedoms mean. They're not freedoms restricted to one group or another as, as our country began. Certainly we have made a way toward a more perfect union. But it's not freedoms, again, to distinguish or separate. Rather, they are freedoms to unify. And perhaps more than that, freedoms to identify who we are as Christ's followers. Freedoms that help us to understand what it means to be guided by God's Spirit. Freedoms that come not as a right, not as a privilege. Freedoms, in fact, that aren't even earned. Simply a freedom given by God to all those who he seeks relationship with. It's simply a gift given by God, not won by armies, but rather a gift given by God that comes from the death of one man and the death and resurrection of that one man. So we shift a little bit, people of God. We begin to broaden our understanding of what this freedom means for us. We look to biblical freedom. We look to covenantal freedom. We look to freedom simply as God's good gift, given so that we might be God's presence in this world today, identified by the way the Spirit works and moves in each of us. And so as we move on into understanding this passage, I want us to think not of fireworks when we talk about freedom, but of Jesus. And I want us to think not of independence when we talk about freedom, but that which binds us together with God and with each other for the sake of the world. This is biblical, covenantal. Christ-centered freedom guided by God's Spirit. Now, the book of Galatians is Paul's manifesto about those who are freed by Christ. And I think I've bitten off a bit more than I can chew with this one. Paul comes to the churches at Galatia, the churches most likely that he founded, and begins to try to explain to them what this new identity is about, what it means to be those who follow the way of Jesus, what it means to be those who've been converted by the power of the Holy Spirit to be God's distinct people on this earth. And so we take kind of that 32,000-foot view of, of what's going on as we move into chapter 5 in Galatians, because I think it's crucial to understand all of these words that we just read. We have to understand or begin to understand that what Paul is doing here is beginning to distinguish Christians from the mother faith of Judaism. Up until this point, Christianity was seen as a subset of Judaism. Believers who were following this Messiah, Jesus Christ. And so as the word went out and as missionaries like Paul went out and took this word to all the known world, they began to understand that something was different. 
And there was a pivot to be made because as they went out, as they were associated with Judaism, others who knew and met, met them would begin to bring the law back into focus and claim that we are identified by the law as Jews were, as Jews are. Nothing wrong with that. We're, we're distinct from that, however. And so Paul writes Galatians, the letter to the churches at Galatia, to to set the record straight, to clarify things. He's founded these churches and moved on, and yet many of those whom he has left behind begin to call the people back to the law, as if the law is the means for encountering God, as if the law is primary to one's encounter with God, as if the law is what will continue to define us as a subset religion. And Paul says, that's not what's going on here. And so he writes this letter again to, to set apart the people of God who are now following Christ. Now, Paul knew what he was talking about. Remember, Paul's an expert in Judaism. A Jew among Jew, a scholars among the scholars, one who had dedicated his life to Torah, to law. In fact, we know from, from the book of Acts that Paul was actually persecuting Christians persecuting new believers, witnessing the stoning of Stephen, a very first martyr. So Paul knew what was going on. Paul knew that Christianity was not just a subset, that, that it was time to make that break. And, and like I said, Galatians makes that break as Paul writes to the believers in Galatians. And, and if you read the beginning of the book, you can see that Paul's fairly angry. Paul is giving no quarter to those who would call Christians back to observing the law prior to, to receiving God's grace. They were arguing that you had to become Jewish before you became Christian. And Paul said, no way, not having it. We're moving on. And in that first chapter, I love it because Paul gets kind of raw. He tells everybody else where they can go if they don't believe in grace. That doesn't make sense, does it? Anyway, Paul says, a curse be upon you, not once but twice. If you try to tell my people, the people of God, if you try to tell those in the church that they have to follow the law in order to understand God, in order to connect, they absolutely do not have to become Jewish first. That's the argument. Do you have to become Jewish in order to become Christian? Paul says no and tells anybody that's arguing against him that they're cursed. They can go you know where. A little heavy, a little strong, but he's worked up. He's worked up because, again, he sees this as a defining moment for Christ followers. He sees this as a defining moment, as a distinguishing moment, as a pivotal moment for those who believe in Christ and who have received the power of the Holy Spirit because that's the message the freedom given by grace, the relationship offered through the sacrifice, the death and resurrection of Christ. That's the primary message. And so Paul goes hard at it, telling the church of their distinct identity. Now, he doesn't negate Hear me please very clearly. He doesn't negate of all that brought the people of God to this place. 
to this moment of decision, to this pivotal moment as he sees it. He doesn't negate that at all. In verse, just the beginning of um, chapter 5, Paul says, The greatest commandment is that which you heard from Leviticus and Deuteronomy. I'm not going back on that. The greatest commandment from Deuteronomy and Leviticus that Christ later quotes is love your neighbor as yourself. Absolutely. This is a distinguishing mark of believers. How we doing? Absolutely. The sum of the law, he says to the churches at Galatia, you must love your neighbor as yourself. That is what sets us apart as the people of God. We simply are called to love others. And that's as old as Judaism itself. Just about. That's who we're called to be. So take that, take that piece. He's a brilliant um, defender of the faith in a way, a brilliant person to come to the faith, to write to the believers, not to negate all that has come in their past. He starts with celebrating that which has brought them to this point. The goodness of the law that can be celebrated and summed up in that commandment to love one another. And so he comes at it, again, a good Jew that he was, starting at that very important tenet of faith, both for Jews and for Christians. Let's start there. And then we begin to understand ourselves as distinct. Then we begin to talk about the Holy Spirit. Then we begin to understand that it is God's Spirit freely given to all people, the grace freely given to all people so that when we accept Christ, we are free from anything that would bind us. The law at that time or anything else, behaviors, addictions, choices that counter what God would have his people do. And we read that. We went on to, to list those and to, to understand some of that which separates us from others. Again, at this pivotal moment, Paul is not seeking to separate believers from anyone. This freedom in Christ is no longer given. This identity as, a God, as God's people is no longer just for a select nation. This freedom is no longer just for one race or another. Rather, this is part of the new beginning for believers. This is part of the pivot through the power of this Holy Spirit that Paul is making in his letter, asserting in his letter. I am giving you this freedom so that all people may believe, so that these new churches in Galatia and later Ephesus and Rome and throughout again the known world, so that all these people may know the freedom that comes in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. The freedom that is a gift from a God who seeks to be in relationship with every single one of us. With a God who seeks to bring us together because there's no way we're going to make it alone. And really, that's what these gifts of the Spirit are about. That's what these warnings of unholy behavior is about 
Paul is warning us, inviting us first, inviting us to make that commitment to follow in the ways of Christ, a way that unifies and brings people together, perhaps people who never thought they'd show up in the same room. That's the goal, because that's the witness, and we need one another in order to live this life faithfully in order to commit and to follow through day in and day out. And anything that would seek to break relationship, that's what Paul is warning against, right? Anything in body or in soul that would seek to separate us from one another, that's what Paul is warning about. And for those who are in the spirit, it's not that we're free to do whatever it is we want, that we're freed by the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can do life together, bearing witness to a new faith in Christ. And so he prohibits, he says, these things that would tear us apart are no longer allowed, are no longer to be practiced by God's people, anything in body or in spirit that would separate us from one another, anything that would taint the body individually or corporately. We are to reject impurity, licentiousness, drunkenness, all these things that affect very literally the body that would tend to corrupt and separate and do relationships harm. Put them away. Don't do it. But he doesn't stop there. He doesn't stop with with just that which would corrupt the body physically. But he also goes on to talk about that which would separate the body emotionally, spiritually. Your factions, your jealousies, your envy. Don't do this, people of God. These things perhaps that are easy choices because they're sometimes hidden because we say them in dark corners because not everybody knows when we're envious of them. These things that we kind of hide away, don't do those because they can't stay hidden forever. And as they become manifest in our lives, they taint not only the body physically, they taint the body spiritually and emotionally. And they seek to tear down that which God seeks to shore up, to mend, to heal. These gifts of the Spirit, this power of the Spirit is present in believers so that we may be more faithful day in and day out, working together to make choices for holiness and unity, to make choices that build up this body of Christ for the sake of the world. That's the freedom that comes from God. For the sake of all people, here, elsewhere. These are the things we are to reject. We won't leave it with that. We gotta go positive, right? We're not known as God's people just by what we are called upon to reject, what we are empowered to reject, that which we that would seek to destroy or, or um, tear us apart. That's not what we're to be known by. Rather, Paul goes into the fruits of the Spirit. You've seen them cross-stitched over a mantle, right? We sing songs about them. 
I've seen it on a poster, a bumper sticker, the fruits of the Spirit. This is how we're to be known. This is what is possible through the power of the Spirit when you put away all those behaviors that would seek to corrupt and divide us. This is who God now calls us to be. We are to be those who bear the fruit of love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I happen to think he should have started with self-control. For how is any of this possible without it? But Paul seeks to invite us into this new identity, into this new faith, this new entity called the body of Christ, the church, by telling us how the world will know us. Jesus talked about fruit all the time. He's picking up on the words of Christ. I think it's over 60 times Jesus talked about the fruit of believers grafted onto the vine of, the, of God and so forth. Paul picks up that imagery and he says, we will be known as those who love. Pray about that. Be, we will be those who are known by joy and peace, peace and patience. Pray about that. I will. We are those who are to be known by kindness. How we doing? That's such a great word. I think one of those bumper stickers that really gets it wrong is practice random acts of kindness. No way. Practice intentional kindness because it is the fruit of the Spirit. It is part of that which identifies us as those who follow Christ. It's not random at all. Be kind, people of God. Be generous. Be faithful. Maybe we should have started with that one. Be faithful day in and day out. Seek those ways that give rise to the Spirit being made manifest in your life and in the community. Those who follow Christ. Be faithful, be gentle. Love that. You ain't got nothing to prove. You can be gentle. You don't have to be braggadocious or rough or whatever, forceful. You just... Be gentle, because it's a gift of the Spirit, one that we as God's people are called upon to embody self-control. That's a biggie. God has given us this new identity. Paul is writing to the church at Galatia, the churches at Galatia, offering them this new identity, telling them, we, we continue to embody the past, We can start there, but time for something new. You are to be a people who bear the Spirit. You are the the people whose fruit is of the Spirit. You are to be the people who celebrate love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. By this you now shall be known as followers of Christ. God help us. The good news is God already has. Amen. And let us pray. Holy Spirit, you have set us apart, offered us the gift of freedom in Christ, no longer bound by any worldly definition, any temptation, no longer bound by a past, perhaps, for which we've not even forgiven ourselves. God, you have called us forward. 
to manifest the fruits of your spirit to be kind and gentle and faithful and loving and peaceful. You have called upon us to embody all these things. And you have made a way for us to do so. Help us now. Help us tomorrow and the day after. May those who know us know you first. For it's by the power of the Holy Spirit we live. Amen. The good news is we are indeed free. Free in Christ and empowered by the Holy Spirit to be God's distinct people. Bearing witness to the light of Christ this day and every day hereafter. Go in peace.